Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Well, hello. We're here for another session of studying the book of Proverbs. My name is Paul Washer, and today I'm here with a friend and a co-worker, Forrest Height, and we're going to do something of a question and answer, so I'll let Forrest begin. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Forrest Height. I'm an administrator and editor at HeartCry, one of the guys working behind the scenes on the uh, HeartCry curriculum project. So first, I do want to thank you all, who uh, all of you who submitted questions. We received a lot of them, a lot of good ones. I spent a, a good bit of time reading through all of them, sorting through them, and uh, ultimately I selected a number uh, that we hope to get to today. So with that, we'll we'll go ahead and jump right in. Brother Paul, would you open us in prayer? Sure. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the grace that has been given to us in this day. Thank you for your son, for all that he has come to mean to us, for all that he is and all that he's done for us. Father, I pray that today you will use these questions and answers that have been given to us by listeners. Give us grace, Lord. Use them. Use the answers and help your people, especially, Father, the young people, to grow in the knowledge and wisdom of Christ. So, Father, we have no hope in ourselves, but we do have hope in your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Brother Paul, I'm going to combine the first couple of questions. Uh, they're more practical in talking about the this teaching series in particular. Okay. A number of people wanted to know what translation of the Bible you're using for the series. And then uh, Warren is asking, how am I as a father to do these lessons with my two boys? Do I let them watch it on their own and take notes or do I watch it with them? Okay. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm using the New American Standard Bible. I've used that for years. Uh, other translations that I, I greatly appreciate would be the King James and the uh, New King James. Um, I use it because it is one of the most literal translations out there, and the, uh, the translators themselves have a great respect uh, for the scriptures, and uh, they fear God so as to... Uh, seek to only give that which is found in, in the original text. And so that's why I use it. But let, let me say there are other good translations. I know many of you use the uh, English Standard Version, and many use the King James and the New King James, and, and I appreciate all of those. Now, let's see. The next question, uh, let's see. What was it, Forrest? How am I as a father to do uh, these lessons with my two boys? Right. Uh, do I let them uh, watch it on their own or take notes or watch it with them? You know, um, every family is different and every relationship between father and son, father and daughter um, is different. The, the one thing that I would do is, uh, is I would sit down and talk with them also. You know, how do you, as children, how do you feel like you would get the greatest benefit uh, out of these films? Now, I believe that... Um, even when a sincere man comes into your home, whether it's physically or with a video, and he's teaching something as important as the things of God, that a parent needs to at least 
review the video first or watch it with their children. But really, just um, investigate a bit. You know, try one thing, try another thing. And, and the key here is not to be able to boast in our methodology, but to really discover um, how does my child learn and what is the best way to use these videos. Good deal. Okay, so in lesson one, you said that Christianity is not an ethical religion in the sense that we save ourselves by keeping certain principles. And went on to say that Christianity is different from all other religions because our Savior is someone outside of ourselves. Giuseppe, who is 10 years old, asks, what did you mean about religion and Christianity? So could you expand on that thought a little bit for a 10-year-old Giuseppe? Yes. Well, Giuseppe, that is a really good question. Now, the word religion deals with, um, depending on the context, with um, the worship of God or the fear of God or an allegiance to God. And it is used not only with regard to Christianity, but it's used with regard to, well, so many expressions of faith throughout the world, so many, many religions. Now, oftentimes in Christianity, the word religion has a negative, you know, people see it as something negative. You will hear dear Christians say, um, you know, I don't have a religion. I have uh, Jesus. I, or I don't have a religion. I have a relationship. Well, if we're going to be biblical Christians, we need to recognize that Christianity is a religion. In the book of Acts, Paul refers to Judaism as a religion. And then in James, James refers to uh, a true religion. What does true religion look like? And of course, he's talking in the context of Christianity. So you shouldn't see religion as a negative term unless it is a religion that downplays personal faith in Jesus Christ and a relationship. Now, Christianity is not an ethical religion, primarily. Now, what do I mean by that? Christianity has commands, many commands, many precepts, many examples and wisdom, and, and we need to listen to all those, learn from them, and conform our life to those commands. But we're not saved by our ability to keep those commands. We are saved by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I mean when I say we're not saved by our own works, but by the works of another. And therefore, we cannot boast in ourselves, but only in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our next question is from Callie, who asks, what is the goal of wisdom? Well, the goal of wisdom in the book of Proverbs is, of course, to be wise, um, to think as God thinks. When we expand from the book of Proverbs and, and look at the full counsel of Scripture, which is both the Old and New Testaments, of course, we begin to see that wisdom, the goal of it, is conformity to the character of God. And that character of God is most revealed to us in the Scriptures through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the goal of studying Proverbs, as I have said, you know, there's so many people that look at the book of Proverbs just as all these principles we're going to learn. And by learning all these principles and obeying them, you know, we're going to, we're going to be transformed. And there's some truth to that. But what I want you to see out of Proverbs is something akin to what we see in the law. The law tells us that we are sinners and we need salvation. And that salvation is found in Jesus. And Proverbs tells us, now don't be offended, but Proverbs tells us that we are fools and directs us to Christ, again, for salvation, but also as Christ directs us back to the scriptures, back to the commands, and Christ directs us 
back to Proverbs, you see, so that we learn being saved by faith, knowing that we're unconditionally loved. Now we want to learn from the commands and learn from wisdom in order to walk away that's pleasing to God. Mm. All right. So uh, this next question comes from Hoa. Hope I'm saying that right. He's from Vietnam. And uh, as I understand it, the gist of the question is this. If we read the Bible to seek wisdom and to live according to that wisdom, but we don't feel that our heart is being renewed by the word, does it still make sense to read the Bible? Yes. Yes, it does. Now, young people, let me give you an illustration that was given to me uh, so many years ago. I was younger. Um, I, I once asked someone a question. I said, you know, sometimes I read the Bible and within five minutes I forget what I've read or as soon as I get up from my time alone reading scripture, I sometimes I, I just don't feel like I've really learned something. And uh, a guy told me this illustration. He said um, there was an, an, an old man and a little boy. And the little boy came to his grandfather and said the same thing. Grandfather, you, you read the Bible. I read it, but don't even remember what I read sometimes. And his father said, get that old coal bucket. That was a bucket for carrying chunks of coal with the the black coal dust, go get the old cold bucket and walk down to the river, fill it up and bring it back. And so the boy was obedient. He took the bucket, he went down to the river, he filled it up and he came back. But when he came back, there was no water in it because the bucket was full of holes. And the grandfather said, now go back to the river again and do it again. And he did. And he did it a third time. And finally, the young boy said to his grandfather, grandfather, this is useless. You know, there's no water in the bucket. He said, yeah, but look inside the bucket. It's clean. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's the way it's been with me. I find that, yeah, even now as an old man, there are sometimes I sit down to read the scriptures and after about a half an hour, it doesn't seem to me like there's a really big change or that anything positive has happened. But I know that over the course of the years, my life is more transformed by being devoted to the scriptures. And I know that even in that day, <laughs> it seems that um, I have a power, a greater power to walk with God simply because I have gotten into the scriptures. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to combine two questions here. They're related. So first is from Jay Lee. Uh, she's only six years old. And she asks, what does wisdom mean? And then Joshua asks, what is the difference between wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? So can you give a biblical definition of wisdom for the six and seven-year-olds watching and then distinguish between the, the concepts of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? Well, to be honest with you, it sounds to me like these six and seven-year-olds are becoming pretty good theologians. Yeah. Uh, those are questions that you would be asked sometimes in a seminary class. <laughs> um, first of all, wisdom um, as it's expressed in the book of Proverbs, it's very important. Sometimes people take Proverbs as hard and fast rules. If I do this, then I'll live to be 90 years old. If I do this, I'll never be hurt by someone. And, and Proverbs, just please remember, I've said this over and over. Imagine an, an, an old man sitting on a bench for 100 years and just watching people as they do different things. And he sees that Every person who is a liar and not faithful suffers bad consequences, more bad consequences than someone who's truthful. Someone who is a child who is obedient to their parents seems to prosper as a general rule far more than someone who is disobedient and rebellious. And so these are generalizations, 
of the wise as they look out over the world. But now what separates Proverbs from everything else is that these, um, these Proverbs are also inspired by God. So these generalizations and these directions, uh, they're inerrant. They're infallible. That means that they're perfect and they're without error and, and they're incapable of error. So as a young person, if you will guide yourself by precepts, you will become wise. Now, wisdom is, you know, there, there's a lot of definitions because it's a big word. You know, sometimes there are words that are so full of meaning that you can't just give one little definition. Right. But uh, kind, kind of look at it this way. Um, and, and, and this is it's a really strict separation that we, and we probably shouldn't this strict, but I just want to give you sort of an idea. Mm-hmm. Knowledge, let's look at that for, for just a moment as facts. What is true? Reality. Okay. Now, you can have knowledge about something and, and know that it's true, but not really understand how it works. For example, I have the knowledge of the fact if I turn on a light switch, the <laughs> lights are going to come on. But I do not have the understanding of that like a uh, electrician would. A friend of mine in our church, he's an electrician, understands all about that. Now, then wisdom, in a sense, is the ability to take what you know and what you understand and you put it into practice. Now, having said that, I want to be very, very careful. A lot of times these terms can be used as synonyms which means, you know, he says wisdom, referring to something, and then calls the same thing understanding or calls the same knowledge. And so we don't want to make these hard and fast rules about each specific word. That's not the way we understand our own modern languages, and it's not the way we should understand Hebrew or Greek. Mm -hmm. But I I think what I've told you there will be helpful. Knowledge is knowledge of the facts. You really know reality as it is, what is true. Then understanding is is how does that function? What is it all about? And then wisdom is being able to take that and actually live according to it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, Harry, uh, who is 14 years old, has been watching your lessons faithfully, has talked about wanting more of an intimacy with God. Um, He asked a little bit more of a personal question, but I thought it would be helpful for young people like him who are watching this series. They're wanting to study and learn and grow, but are living in a more difficult context. So his question is, what advice would you give to a young teenager with an unconverted family? Boy, that, that is such a good question. And there are so many who are like you, whether they're a young teenager. I teach a lot of college students, some college students who will become Christian in college and go home for the summer and their, their parents are not believers. And the same thing I tell everyone, and that is, again, obedience to the scriptures. So many times when someone is converted and they're young and their parents aren't believers, um, there can enter in kind of spiritual pride. You know, I'm a Christian. My family's not Christian. And then we're always preaching to them and we're always telling them where they're wrong and and where they should change and and all these different things. And, And for the most part, it always kind of blows up in our face. They become angry and bitter. Um, what we should do is this. We should simply live obedience before our parents. We should honor our mother and father. If you're a Christian, you should honor your mother and father far more than before you became a Christian. And you say, but my parents aren't 
Christians. That, that doesn't matter. The Bible says you're, you're to love your enemies. How much more are you to love your parents who, in most cases, parents dearly love their children, even unbelieving parents. And so you want to honor them. You want to be obedient to them. You want to be humble before them and really submit your life to them. Now, when I say that, young people always go, well, you're telling me to submit to my parents. What if my mom and dad tell me to blow up the Empire State Building? And I always ask, well, when was the last time they asked you to do that? That isn't the problem in your house. The problem is they want you to clean your room. Grow in your submission to your parents. Grow in, in your desire to honor them, obey them, go out of your way to serve them. That's what you should do. And if, listen, if, if you want to go to church three times a week and your parents say, no, um, you, you can go twice, then, then obey your parents. You say, well, the commandments of God, well, the commandments of God doesn't, doesn't say go three times a week and go to youth group and do all these other things. Obey your parents. Go to church. Do all that, but also don't don't try to keep doing more and more outside of the home. Concentrate coming into the home with your Christianity and demonstrating it by your submission, your respect, your reverence for your parents, and your love and service to your brothers and sisters. When your parents start seeing you grow in your reverence, your honor, your obedience, when they start seeing you grow in your care for your brothers and sisters, they're going to start asking questions. What has happened to my child? But if they see a rebellious child who's just quoting scripture, they're going to say, you know, my, my child has become some part of some religious group. That's all. Mm. So it's, it's a transformed life. And that has as it's the big demonstration of a transformed life is love. Yeah, that's good advice. Good. Okay, the next question is from Seb. He's a 23-year-old man from South Africa. Questions about discretion. So in Lesson 5, when you taught on verses 4 and 5 of Proverbs 1, you said that discretion is the ability to choose the right path in any given situation. So Seb has a, a good opportunity to begin his career, but is also feeling a growing but somewhat uninformed desire to preach. So he asks a two-part question. How can one use discretion to weigh the desires of the heart and how does one guard against indecisiveness? Okay. Um, well, that, that requires a, a little uh, kind of an answer from several different angles. So I'm going to do this as short as possible. First of all, the desires of our heart uh, can be something of a compass. Um, let me give you an example. I desired to go to Peru as a missionary. And when I left Peru, it's because I really desired to come back and, and do a ministry that would be more expansive and touch more lives. And so a man or a woman or a young person that is renewing their mind in the word of God, their desires can be an indicator. But just remember, it's a subordinate indicator. What I mean is it's very, very secondary. Mm. We guide our lives by the word of God and by what the word of God tells us with regard to God's purpose. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say that, that you're in a church and you're, and this is not hard and fast. This is, again, this is where we apply wisdom and how, we, let's say that you're a believer of two years and you're in a 
church and you're growing and um, you've got a job that sustains you and uh, you're really around a lot of good believers. And all of a sudden, uh, you're offered a job a thousand miles away where there will be hardly any Christian fellowship, where um, it's a job in which it's going to require things of you that may be just a little bit, not necessarily wicked things, but dark colored things, things that are a little bit gray and things like that. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says you shouldn't travel so many miles and take that job. But there are a lot of principles that that can help you discern this may not be the time. And you say, well, I'm going to go there as a witness. Yeah, but the Bible says that you're a new believer and, and you need to be careful. And you there's no church there where you can fellowship. And you're going to have to really walk a fine line between compromise and, and devotion. And, and right now, that's required by a, someone who's more mature than you. Do You see, you just start looking at all the principles in the scripture and the greater purpose. God's greater purposes in your life is not that you move a thousand miles away in order to make uh, twice the money. Mm. I know people who have been offered jobs that doubled their salary and they didn't take it because they couldn't find a good church because they felt like where they were at that time, they were being used of God. And these are professional people. And so one of the things, you know, when people are forced with a decision, Here's what they do a lot of times. They just open up the Bible and they try to find an answer. Sometimes they throw it open, you know, on the stairs and wherever it falls. But for the most part, they'll just start looking. But but the Bible teaches us another way. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, that we're to renew our mind. And that is primarily in the Word of God. But not only in the Word of God. Also, the fellowship of the believers, being around more mature people, receiving counsel, as the Hebrews will talk, and will tell us. And so um, this is how you would discern that. If, if now I was in your shoes, I would, um, I would look at scripture. I would get wise counsel from elders. I would try to, to literally be honest at the situation I'm moving into. What, how will it affect my Christianity? How will it affect eternity? Mm-hmm. Now, I want to say one last thing. Um, we have to li- well, two last things. We have, first, we have to live our life renewing our mind so that when these things come up, it's almost like we know because this scripture and this scripture and this scripture and this scripture. The other thing is, I am, I'm 58 years old, soon to be 59. Um, you, I think you would be greatly surprised at how much I depend on the counsel of others, the counsel of my wife, the counsel of my co-laborers the council of the elders in our church, other people. Let me give you an example. The other day I had to make a financial decision. I called a brother in Christ. Matter of fact, I talked to about three. What do you think about this? Uh, Forrest, I think I'm more than twice as old as Forrest over here that's seated over here beside me. And there's been times I said, Forrest, what here? You see that? Now, don't be asking counsel for foolish people. But look at some people and look at the order in their lives and the godliness and then say, you know, even if they're half my age, let's, I'm going to ask them, what do they think I ought to do? All right? Yeah. Good deal. All right. So the next question is on the fear of the Lord. You dealt uh, with this topic a lot in lessons nine through 12. So John asks this. He asks, some people think fearing the Lord and loving him are two different things that don't go together. How would you explain their relationship 
Is it more important that we fear or love God? And what should be emphasized more, especially to young people? Well, first of all, let's go to the scriptures. In the scriptures, is the fear of the Lord considered a virtue? Yes. Okay. Is the love of God considered a virtue? Yes. Are they in opposition to one another? Absolutely not. They're both Christian virtues. Right. Now, let's look at fear for a moment. Um, a man who is grossly given over to his sin, that has no respect whatsoever for God or people, who um, is bloodly antagonistic against uh, Christians and others, how should he fear God? He should fear God in, in many ways. Well, because he's a creature, he should reverence God, which is a positive thing. That's what Christians do. He should have a high esteem for God. But in his case, he should fear. You see, he should fear the holiness of God because he's not holy. He should fear the righteousness of God because he's not righteous. He should fear vengeance of God because he has set himself against God. So that's one way of looking at fear. But now the believer, not through his own works, but the believer has been reconciled to God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, do I fear the wrath of God? No, I do not. Why? Because Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God in my place. Okay. Do I fear that because it's not what I ought to be, even after 35 years, that God is going to turn away from me? Do I fear that? Absolutely not. Why? Because Christ has done a perfect work. And in the new covenant, he has promised not to turn away from me. And he has promised to put his fear, his reverence, in my heart that I'll not turn away from him. So for the believer, the fear of the Lord is a deep and abiding. Here's a word I'm going to put in there that's not often put in there, but should be. It's a deep and abiding appreciation. All that God is leading to a respect. And, and a respect is more than just a bowing head. It's a deep reverence. God is so great. He is so loving. He's so holy. He's so just that even the angels in his presence, angels have not sinned. They cover their face. They cover their feet. And with only two wings, they fly in service to him. And so both things go together. The more I know about who God is, the more I, I appreciate, esteem, um, and, and, and respect him and reverence him and, and tremble before this God that is so good. And at this time, the more I love him, you see, the more you know about an excellent person, you will love them more. Why? Because their excellencies will draw out your affections. So the more we know about the excellencies of God, especially as they're revealed in Christ, not only the more we will fear him, but the more we'll love him. Good. All right. Uh, if you're good with this, I think we'll just do a few rapid fire ones. Uh, try to do these okay. pretty quick so we can fit a few more in I'll here. I'll be as rapid fire as I can. All right. All right. So uh, Vinicius asks, can I read Solomon's Proverbs as if they were Jesus's Proverbs since they are God's word or only as a shadow? What was the last part? Only as a shadow? Right. So can I read them as if they were Jesus's Proverbs or only as a shadow? Okay. Well, Here's what I want you to see. 
all the scripture is inspired by God, as it proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so with the triune God, you can say, yes, the book of Proverbs is Jesus's words. Not only, not only that, but the book of Proverbs also is a shadow or type of Christ. Whatever you read about wisdom, especially in Proverbs 8, it is not talking directly about Christ. It's giving you a shadow. Christ is much farther beyond anything you're going to see. So, yes, look at them as the words of God, because Paul says that to the church in Thessalonica. They're the words of talking about the whole scripture. Uh, look at them as the words of Christ. But also, now, now, now realize this. The scriptures are inspired, and, and every word is true, like, like silver purified seven times, okay? But that does not mean that the authors were mechanical robots. Right. In the interpretation of the book of Proverbs, we need to take in into consideration the context, which is the language, um, the history, who is speaking, to whom that person is speaking. And so, you know, yes, the words of God, but these are the Proverbs, the words of wisdom from Solomon, but also other wise sages in, in Proverbs, in, in Israel. So hold both those things in attention. Yeah. All right. Uh, Vivi and Mike, who are ages nine and six, respectively, they ask, how can we make ourselves want to read our Bibles more? Sometimes when we have family Bible reading time, we're not very excited about it. Is that bad? Um, it's not. It's, well, let me put it this way. Sometimes uh, I'm not very excited either. And um, in a sense, it is bad because there's no greater book. And there's no greater theme than Jesus Christ. So when I see that I'm a little bit of heart, I realize the problem is not the Bible. The problem is me. Okay. At the same time, young person, listen to me. Um, I was talking, and this is for the parents. I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, they said that their children were really not wanting to do family devotions. And I said, well, explain to me. So they were in family devotions, I think, six or seven days a week, and for like an, an entire hour of Bible reading. And I told the brother, he was an adult, a parent that was doing that. I said, man, I'm glad I'm not your child. I said, you're having a church service in your house, basically, every day. And you're just reading scripture to your children. Um, here's what I want you to realize. First of all, we be passionate about reading God's word and knowing God. Sometimes we're not going to be so passionate. And when we're not so passionate, we would find our heart is dull recognize this is the reason that you can't save yourself. This is the reason you need Jesus. Mm. So, so be honest and transparent. I have sometimes, many times said, Lord, I, I just, just don't, my heart is, seems so dull. Will you help me? Now I'm going to keep reading. If I've got to read, you know, if I got to read three or four chapters a day, uh, I'm going to keep reading, but I'm also going to say, Lord, please help me. And a broken and contrite heart like that, he doesn't despise. He's not angry with you. Right. Also, ask your parents, or, or if you have an older uh, brother or sister that's walking with God, ask them to hold you accountable. You know, have to say, look, ask me every day, did I read my three chapters or whatever. Now, I, I need to say one more thing. Some children are really lazy. They like read one verse and they feel good about themselves. Maybe they should 
push that up a little, then maybe a chapter. But then I've met other children who were very sincere about praying about the word, and, and they were falsely and wrongly condemning themselves. Mm. They were trying to hold themselves to a standard, and their relationship was becoming a burden, a legalism. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. And don't feel condemned. Sometimes your heart is dull. Just cry out for grace and no, fall back, fall back, fall back, fall into the unconditional love of God and the grace of God. Amen. This is why we need Jesus, because you and I aren't always right. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll squeeze this one more in and then we'll move to wrap things up. Uh, MB, who's 23 years old, asks, is it correct to view the Proverbs as a summary or companion to the moral law? Well, um, the, the way the New Testament treats the moral law, especially the Ten Commandments, uh, gives it a great, great prominence. Now, every part of the scripture is, is you know, like, like the old preachers used to say, the dust of this book is gold. So every part of it is worthy. Um, when we talk about the moral law and we see Paul arguing, for example, in the book of Romans and in other places, Mark arguing off of the moral law, um, we see him talk about the moral law a lot. We don't see him talking about the book of Proverbs a lot. So what I want you to do is realize that they do not contradict and one complements the other. Mm. But Proverbs is not the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments are not Proverbs. Again, mm. Proverbs are these principles, these these short, powerful statements about what is wise and what is not wise. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And finally, to, to wrap things up, I've got a, a, an easy question for you to, to answer quickly. We, we had a lot of people um, ask about books that you recommend, obviously, in addition to or alongside their study of the scriptures. Some asked generally about books to help them in their walk. Others were asking specifically for books that would be good for their children to read. Uh, so you can just can you just give us some recommendations on, on, on literature? Yeah, uh, one of the, you know, first of all, uh, above all things, get your children reading the Bible. Get them the reading the Bible. And um, I still, to this day, if you could see my desk, it is literally covered in, in Greek dictionaries and everything else. But when I'm having my personal just time of reading, I, I use a study Bible uh, just so that I can, because I'm not there to exegete a text that means tear it apart in Greek and Hebrew and stuff. I, I'm just, um, I'm there just to enjoy myself yeah. and just to read. And so I, I really appreciate uh, the ESV study Bible, uh, the Reformation Heritage uh, study Bible, uh, the John MacArthur study Bible is very helpful. And so I would recommend investing um, in, a, in a very good study Bible for your child. But I don't really recommend youth Bibles or Bibles for teenagers or Bibles for college students. Get them something that's going to help them exegete the text. Okay, that's the first thing. The next thing, I would um, I would go to, to different websites. Um, uh, for example, Reformation Heritage. Uh, website and others where really, really good children's books are set forth. Um, very good stuff. Um, an, a thing that my children do uh, that I've had them do is read Pilgrim's Progress. Charles Spurgeon, it said of him that he read it 100 times. It talks about conversion and the Christian life in a way that is 
is just so exciting. And, uh, and I have read it many times and every time with just joy. What an adventure. Uh, what a writing that is. Um, with the book of Proverbs, um, sadly, there's, there's not a lot out there. Uh, let me just get one book. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'll recommend it to you. While, uh, while he's saying that, I'll say, I, know you, I knew he was going to mention Pilgrim's Progress. That's something that he, he talks about a lot. Uh, I know he also loves the, uh, the autobiography of George Mueller. That's something that certainly affected his life a lot. So. Yes, and the, um, with regard to Proverbs, Charles Bridges has a work that it may be a little bit more geared toward older teenagers and to parents, but if you're a parent and you've got a question because your child is asking you questions based on what we've done here and we're causing you problems, uh, this, this old work by uh, Charles Bridges is excellent. Here, um, this is a wonderful book. Uh, it's George Mueller. It's the shorter uh, version put out by Whitaker House. If you notice, the pages are all yellow and broken and everything. I have had this since I was about 22, I think. So now I'm 58. So I've had a long time. And uh, this sits on my desk. It never, because George Mueller was truly, um, he said he didn't have the gift of faith. And I believe him. But he was a man who believed God. And uh, this is an excellent, excellent book, The Autobiography of George Mueller. Also, I recommend short biographies of great saints. Again, at Reformation Heritage, they have some wonderful things like that. Um, some short biographies, but always, always know this. You know, kind of children, listen to me, and parents, listen to me. When we read biographies of great saints, oftentimes it mainly contains all the great stuff they did. And it doesn't talk a lot about their failures. But there is no great anyone except for Jesus Christ. Even the most wonderful missionaries and women of faith and theologians and preachers like Charles Spurgeon, all of them were just men and women who needed to be saved by God. Okay, so don't judge yourself by some biography that you're going to read. All right. Well, uh, we went a bit long, which I expected. Uh, I just thought it was important to try to get as many questions as we can in. And uh, so thank you, Brother Paul. Thank you all so much for watching and for asking questions. Uh, I hope this time was helpful. I'm sorry if we weren't able to get to your question in particular. We will be doing more of these Q&A lessons periodically as we as we uh, progress through the book of Proverbs. Uh, so please com keep submitting them. Please keep submitting your kids' questions. That's, that's awesome. We love to see uh, questions from your children. As you see, we, we try to answer those as well. So Keep in mind, we're looking for questions that are that pertain to the text we're looking at or something taught in the lesson. But um, thank you again. And uh, with that, Brother Paul, you have any final words? Yeah, just please let us know if, you know, if you want us to do more of the question and answers and stuff, just just let us know. Um, you know, stick with the book of Proverbs. But if you have just if you're a child and you have just a burning question about something else that's to do with scripture, please, uh, you know, let us know. One other thing, children, always let your parents know, you know, when you're looking at a video that we produced here at HeartCry, uh, make sure your parents have watched through it because your parents have oversight of you. And parents, really take that seriously. Um, you know, you, you will be responsible on the day of judgment for your children. And, um, and so whatever you let into your house, make sure you've reviewed it carefully. Yeah. Amen. Thank you all, and uh, God bless. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.